Thumbs up, let's do this. Starting from zero. What does it actually take to start from zero and what does it not? What's a waste of time? What works? What doesn't? So many people are lost and confused and even disoriented about what it takes to get started online. And the truth is, it's very simple. Also, success rests in the dirty details. There's so many tiny things people get hung up on when they're starting something online. These tiny details are addressed in this podcast where you watch me mentor people over their shoulder directly based on their personal situation. So listen closely, listen to the whole episode, take in all the patterns, listen for the slow parts, listen for the fast parts, take in everything so you actually see what's required because there's things right now that you're currently missing, things that rest within the little parts of these episodes. Enjoy. So today I'm talking to Dr. Kimberly. Where are you at in the world? I am in Reno, Nevada. So what is your big goal for this call? And also your kind of your big goal for where you're at in life? So my big goal for the call is to come up with a viable game plan to develop and scale a technology platform that'll support education, mitigate poverty, and change the world. And I'm working on multiple levels right now. So, you know, my day life is I am the CEO of K3 Charter School, the first one in Nevada, and a partnering preschool. So on the same campus, we serve students from, well, campuses within a mile of each other, I should say, but they're all considered the same campus. We serve babies from six weeks old all the way through eighth grade, and we have plans to go through high school as early as next year as we're building a building right now. And so that's my day job. I'm also working on, you know, a level of, I'm writing my memoir while I'm editing my memoir. It should be published this month and it'll be featured within the month and it'll be featured in Yoga Journal and some other places. So I'm really excited about that. But why that's important is because that leads into the bigger plan of the technology project, which is, you know, developing this technology platform that'll actually change the way we approach education. And so it's really exciting, but I feel like there's so many pieces that are moving constantly. You know, I need a game plan to make it all make sense and work. What would you do if you didn't have any advice from anyone at all and you had to trust your gut the whole time? I've actually spent a ton of time trusting my gut. So, you know, I would keep doing that, but I I feel like I don't have... Your gut's saying to seek advice. Yes. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So can you say what that vision is? It was three things. I'm looking for, uh, you know, to develop a viable game plan that develops and scales a technology platform that'll support the education model that I've had in place at my school. And that platform actually will help mitigate poverty and change the world. What does mitigate poverty mean? That means poverty in itself. There's, There's a culture within poverty. And so mitigating is providing students or their families with alternative strategies to either decrease the level of poverty or help them with a mind shift change so that they realize they don't necessarily have to be stuck in poverty for the rest of their life just because they're born into it or have situational poverty where they experience it. Okay, so high level real quick, since you're at such a high degree of intelligence here, I'll keep this brief and then you let me know if it's not enough. 
fundamental business success principle, whatever you want to call it, is that a customer will use a mechanism to get a result. Okay. But this works in many areas. Child will go to high school to get a result to go to college, that result to get them a good job. Right. Right. Um, woman wants to lose 20 pounds, she could use many mechanisms. Right. Person wants an intimate relationship, they could use many mechanisms for that. Now, to flip it, this is where you start to get a lot of momentum. You, we now have customer wants result, so they use a mechanism. So if we think of this as entrepreneurs and we develop this in our entrepreneurial thinking, we now look to the customer, we look to the result they want, and then through that we introduce a mechanism. Okay. This thinking can shift so much because the beginners really love mechanisms mm -hmm. so much. You know, if you're a big tech company and you've got this like game-changing tech product and you think it's actually about the technology and the people don't care about the technology. Right. They want a self-driving car. Right. People don't care about the technology. They want to save a hundred grand a year. So let's say you happen to walk in a tech company and they had a hundred people and they were all stressed because their technology was tanking. And like, what are you going to do to save us, Dr. Kimberly? What are you going to do to save us? And you say, well, you're not really a technology company. You're in the business of providing a result. So yes, you are also a technology company. However, we just need to get you guys realigned to the result because the technology could change a hundred different times. Right. As you go into that company and you figure out what result are they committed to providing, and then you morph, warp, and orient the technology around the result. So you don't lead with technology in okay. this particular framework. You lead with result. Leading with tech could work depending on situations. This isn't like a, always the way to go because okay. sometimes tech is so sexy that you just lead with the Tesla car. You, know, you lead with the iPhone. But you know, for those of us who are more mere mortals who don't have those resources to build those things, it's really nice just to sit with someone and figure out what result they care about. Once you figure out the result they care about, you can show them and find the best mechanism to deliver it. Let's just break apart your vision. So you have mitigate poverty. Right. Very heady. Probably not going to inspire much action. Right. Unless you're talking to a room full of, I don't know, people are sitting around a boardroom table. And it, says, it sort of sounds good, but you know what sounded better to me was okay. when you said decrease poverty. Okay. That I understood. Okay. I've, I've said this a few times on a couple of podcasts recently. It keeps coming up, but you want to speak the vision to your children and have your children get it. So children going to mitigate poverty. Mom, where's this Cheerios? <laughs> <laughs> so decrease poverty, they'd probably get. Poverty well, may be a and, word for them. And children themselves, you know, I don't know that, that they even really realize they experience poverty. They just wake up every day and live in an existence mm. of poverty or a culture of poverty, but they might not wake up and say, I'm in poverty. Decrease the struggle to survive. Right. But they, yeah. And they realize very much when they don't have what their friends have, where they don't experience what their friends experience. Or if they live in a hotel and take a bus to school, they know that they're different, but they might not associate that with the word poverty. So I'm thinking when I was, you know, writing out, you know, the bigger picture, I'm thinking I'm talking more to the adults who teach the children. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not like children need to get it, but you know, Martin Luther King is remembered forever. And I think a kid would get what he said. Right. And so did adults. So let's just go with decreased poverty for now. Okay. As a result, that makes sense to me. Okay. okay. Decreased poverty. And what was the other one? 
Wait, you said struggle to survive? That no, no, sorry, the other thing in your vision after, after poverty. Okay. To mitigate poverty and change the world. <laughs> Another oh. philosophy. <laughs> it's okay. We're, we have to start somewhere, and this is where we're starting, and that's perfectly okay. So change the world. What does that mean? For me, that means if you change one person's life through this model of education, then there's a ripple effect, which okay. will change other okay. people's lives. Change one life at a time. Yes. Decrease poverty and change one life at a time. Which one seems easier to follow? Mitigate poverty and change the world or decrease poverty and change one life at a time? Yes, the second one for sure. Let's really build this into the structure of your being. So I want you to feel the first one, the one that's just a little more general. I want to mitigate poverty and change the world. And there's nothing bad or wrong about this at all. We're just looking at our experience. How does that feel? You don't even have to articulate anything. Just feel it. Do you have the feeling? Yes. Good. Okay, so now let's contrast it with, I want to decrease poverty and change one life at a time and feel that. Tell me about them. So mitigating poverty and change the world, is, it feels like a core part of me because that's the way I've thought for so long. Right. So it feels like it's part of my being. And I understand it. But yep. when I think of decreased poverty and change one life at a time, I feel like I can do that right now, this second, and know I have a result. So one you feel more inspired to do? I don't know if it's more inspired, but I feel like it's achievable. It's like, I can do that right now. Whereas mitigate poverty and change the world feels more long-term, more global, more... Yes, yes, good. So you get what mitigate poverty is, and you get what changing the world is, and if you'd like to get a free one-on-one -on -one with me and be on this show, you can find out details at startfromzero.com forward slash podcast. And then we'll get to the game-changing tech thing next. You get what those things mean. Right. So those are what you hold to yourself. Yes. But in terms of mastering influence and speaking, decrease poverty and change one life at a time. Right. And that, that makes you want to join me, right? Yeah. <laughs> So tell me about what game-changing technology means. So it's basically a way to a model. It's a technology that supports a model. So it's embedded within the daily life of the classroom that will address several gaps in education. There's a gap in education where it's called the developmentally appropriate practice or developmental learning theory versus the accountability movement. There's a huge gap between the two. And what we've seen is that People know, most people know that we teach children based on developmental learning theory and the science of learning. However, this accountability movement came into play because the players at B felt that America wasn't making it with its education grade. And so they put in this accountability measure to ensure that all students are learning, all students are growing. But what that movement has done is put such pressure on teachers and leaders that we have seen an increase of more traditional skill and drill, rote learning, memorization, teaching to the test, desk in rows. And we've seen that model that's typically been for K through 12, we've seen it being pushed down to lower and lower grade levels. And it's not appropriate because students aren't able to retain as much information when they sit in a desk all day as to when they're able to explore and experience play 
and really engage in whatever material they're trying to master for, you know, standards or, or skills that they have to master based on their age and ability. That's kind of a big global overview of it. So this doesn't just address gaps with students who experience poverty, although there is a bigger achievement gap for the students who experience poverty than the students who don't experience poverty. Students will use this technology to make decisions about their education so it becomes personalized and it's differentiated and individualized based on their preferences and learning styles. And so students become more engaged because they now have some control. They're learning to make decisions about their education. And when you have that sense of control or learning to make decisions, you're building things in the brain like metacognition, executive functioning. You're also building something called self-agency, which is the ability to have self-control. And when you're doing these things, you're increasing engagement in the classroom which automatically increases achievement. So we're getting the same results that the accountability movement wants if we carefully design the environment and set up the system to work for us. And the model that I have, we actually use it at my school and we've seen that it works. We use it with a manual board, manual prototype of the model. And so we know that it works and students can make decisions on where they want to learn and when and how, and they learn how to regulate their time, plan out their time. So for example, I have a kindergarten class. They're generally about five years old. I had a teacher do a master's thesis on a kindergarten class. Can students make choices to attend these five required must-do centers within a week's time frame without any teacher intervention at all? And she found that five-year-olds could do this successfully at a rate of about 75%. And what that means is one, it frees up a lot of teacher time when students are working in this model, they're choosing where they wanna learn, we've set up the environment so we know that they're learning. Teachers can now pull small groups, work with individual students, conduct authentic assessments. You know, there's all these things that teachers now free to do with their time and then they can coach that 25%. We start to look at what the learner is, is like in their decision-making process. Are they the student who tries to get all of their must-dos done the first day or two of their time. Okay, let's pause. Okay. Good, that's very good. <laughs> what do you need help with? So I think what I need help with is, one, where do I go to get the technology developed? How do I find the right places? I have a lot of players in the industry that say, this is great, we want to do the research, we want to support you, we'll provide you with an advisory board, but I don't have the actual technology developed, so I need that. And then what does that mean? You don't have the technology developed. So the tool that we're using, I have it in a manual form that teachers make by hand and I don't have it computerized. I don't have a software for it. Okay. Do you, and you have people that are ready to implement this in their schools? Yes. I have a group. I was recently at Harvard and I had a group sign up that would be interested to implement this in their schools as the trial, because the way education research works as you implement it and then you look at the iterations and see how it works and make adjustments from there and get feedback from the teachers and, and then look at scaling. So I kind of know this in pieces. I've also been told by some folks at the state of Nevada Department of Education that they'd be interested in seeing it implemented in some of our schools. Yes. So when most people come to me, for example, they have nothing to start from. So what I do is I tell them how to start. I yeah. tell them to find a problem. I tell them to solve it. 
I tell them to get experts in place to solve it. I tell them to get results with those experts. And then when they have results, I tell them to start selling it to other people. Okay. You've already done all that. Right. So this is a a very exciting conversation because now we're looking at how do you implement and create the proper mechanism that you've already vetted. Right. So we're looking at creating a mechanism. So how do you feel about rolling out to just one school at a time? I feel like initially that works until it's fully developed. I also feel like there's a timeliness issue because as soon as this is out there, I've already been told and I already knew in my gut, like it's going to fly. Like everyone's going to try and develop their own version of it. And would that be a problem? It's not a problem, but you want to be first on the market to as many people as you can. And my fear, I guess, would be that other people have more resources so they can scale it a lot faster. How do you make money with this? Selling it to schools based on an individual student subscription because the, there would be yearly updates. There's tracking of students and, and there's tracking of what so you're going to charge per seat. Correct. And a public school would buy this. Yes. So a school with 400 kids in a grade, what would they pay? What I've seen in similar type products, not that they're similar in the model, but they're similar in the subscription is 10 to 12 or so dollars per student. The more that you purchase, the less expensive it gets. If you're wanting to go total market, like, do you want to be number one? Of course. (laughs) Okay, well, not a lot of people want to be number one. (laughs) For me, I'm not sure where I stand on that front. It's like, I like waking up, helping helping some people every day and living an amazing life while I get to be real close and have a great relationship with my family. Right. And so I want to be number one, but I want to be number one and then be able to step back and pick and choose. I don't want to be working three jobs at the same time. You know, I eventually, you know, want to move into where I am picking and choosing and enjoying my family. Well, number one, now you can break these rules, but number one is you look at people have been number one is generally 12 hour days. Right. Which I mean, right now I'm probably doing 16, 18. So. Well, so it'd be a downgrade for you. Right. (laughs) Well, I'm a bit intimidated talking to you, to be honest, because you're like, you got all this doctorate stuff, you're talking to Harvard, and you've got all these results, you've got these advanced maps of education. I'm like, I'm surprised you need help until I see you actually just really want to get this, this tech thing figured out, how to roll out the tech. Then I'm like, right. okay. I'm not, a, I'm not a coder. I don't get it. Have you started looking? I have, and I've had a few people start, and then they get sidetracked and have to do other things or something, because it, I've been told... That while it's simple, it's like a simple inventory type program, it also gets complicated. Where does it get complicated? It gets complicated because there's adaptable features in it. Ideally, you know, you can start smaller and have it very simple and beta-like. I've learned a few computer terms along the way. Yep. (laughs) But the end product has, you know, student avatars where students... um, are designing their own avatars and then let me let me pause you for a second so what if you weren't number one but you were like making like a million dollars a month i mean that'd be okay (laughs) so it's not necessarily about number one it's just about is is half a million dollars a month in student revenue i mean if you're 10 or 20 dollars ahead you need fifty thousand students and you're done right and that that subscription is for the year yep oh right ten dollars per year right so you're looking at 500,000 right. students. Oh man, are you sure you want to do all this? I mean, I get scared, I, but I firmly believe like this isn't a new idea, you know, and it's a new idea in that 
it hasn't been introduced to the world, but I've like had this idea for a while and mm. it aligns with everything I've done in education. And I've been, a, you know, asked if I would want to sell it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, oh. I feel like it's a game changer. I feel like it's really going to help people in the way we look at education, because right now we're still in the industrial area where we mass produce students in desks and rows and push them out the door and we're not changing the world. And people, you know, get to college and career readiness or go out for the workforce and they don't know what the hell they want to do because they've been told what to do their entire life and haven't made decisions. And so that's where I really feel like it ties into the mitigating poverty or, or decreasing poverty, changing one life at a time, because students really start to learn to make decisions and take control of their education, which helps them take control of their life. Okay. So did you see how Elon Musk released the patent technology for his electric car? I didn't see how he released it. I'm, as far as I'm aware, he's given away the patent for free so other people can build. Okay. Electric cars. Like he gave away his quote game changing technology. Okay. To the world. Hmm. You think the technology is actually what might make you number one, but it's much more the team. It's much more the marketing. It's much more how you support and manage your idea. I mean, because there's like 10 social networks from, man, there was something called Bebo. There's MySpace, Yammer, Facebook. And they all implemented the same idea differently. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So it's really, what I, what I would love just for people to get, as they're listening to this, we're going to get you some cool stuff on this call. But what I want to illustrate is like, if I gave an, a single idea and I gave it to 10 different people, all of them would implement it differently. Right. And so it's really about, I want you to focus, it's not about the idea. It's not about the technology as much as it is about the implementation. Okay. Like a say 10% idea, 10% technology, 80% implementation. Okay. So like this means that you've got to rethink how you roll this out. So you do not have the, like the customizability of it's got to be drastically reduced. So you actually have a scalable standard operating procedure that doesn't pull your hair out. Right. Um, but what I was thinking about was if you want to work like say six hours a day and make a million or two a year. How does that sound? That sounds very peaceful. <laughs> How does it sound to work 12 hours a day and make 50 million a year? It sounds busy. Yeah. So have you thought about publishing this for free as a book, having it all be in a book and then having people be able to hire you to implement it in their school for help? So I, like, I've thought about writing the book on the model Yep. I didn't know how to approach the technology piece of it because I hadn't thought about providing that information for free. What do you mean by publishing the technology for free? So I'm implementing the model at my school right now. So I could write that book on the model. I already have like 100 pages or so done. Yep. That's after my memoir is finished. But I haven't included that the idea is to have a technology component to implement the model. I know I'm jumping around a lot, but I want to go back to this phrase, a game-changing technology to help mitigate poverty and change the world. We now have a game-changing technology to help decrease poverty and change one life at a time. Yes. In terms of a game-changing technology, I want you to switch that to something about we have an innovative model that addresses the current gaps in education Okay. to decrease poverty and change life one at a time. But it also helps people that aren't poor. Right. It does. It, and that, that was another thing I was going to mention to you is it helps everybody. It's just my personal passion is to help people 
you have a model abuse those kind of things because that's what i experienced and so i'm trying to give back right you have a model for education that breaks the industrial revolution model yes would teachers get that if they paid attention in class and learned about the industrial revolution <laughs> well do you know do teachers understand where the origins of education come from i mean they should i don't know that they do i don't know that they remember so as a general higher vision, what we're simplifying it is this is the new, the new model that breaks the industrial revolution and creates a new generation of children who thrive. Yes. We do that by, we have a model that addresses the current gaps in education that, by the way, helps decrease poverty and works even better on students who don't have poverty and changes one school at a time. Yes. You know, it's interesting. We love to bring in our personal experience into these missions. Mm -hmm. And then we end up alienating. So I'm glad we caught this. So it's simplifying back to a model that breaks the industrial, the origins of industrial education system and builds a new generation of thriving children. So you're, good Lord, you're actually at the forefront of creating the next generation of people that could save the planet. Yes, because you look at a child and you say, listen, you're not broken. The education system's broken. Yes. There's a school system, actually, that they have their own way of teaching. And you can actually buy franchises of it, be like a private school model. And I cannot remember the name of it, but the guy's got a TED Talk. Okay. You might know him because each student that comes to the school, they give them the identity of you are a hero on a hero's journey. Okay. Have you heard of this school? It sounds familiar, yes. Yeah, so they all children come in and say, guess what? You are a hero on a hero's journey. And that identity does wonders for these kids. And then they give them the ability to pick and choose. And so it's a really interesting model. How many people could you sign up right now if you had the technology built? How many schools? I would think 15 schools. Really? Yeah. And that's going back to my Harvard group of people that said that they want to implement this right away, as well as my school. And and I'm sure I'd have some in the state. And what's the, how many students would that be? Depends on school sizes. Give me a ballpark. 15 people each school has an average of how many kids? I'd say more traditional public schools have like 750 to 1,000. Smaller schools have 500. So let's call it 9,000 students across 15 schools. Okay. So 9,000 students at 10 to $20 per head is 90 grand to 180 grand on 15 yeah. schools. How many schools are in the country? I've looked up how many. 98,000 public schools, 67,000 elementary schools, 24,000 secondary. Are these schools public schools, the 15 that you're talking about? I'd have to double check. Some of them might be like, yes. But the public schools have budgets for this kind of thing? They do build in budgets. It's, it's a timing issue. So as we move into January in the second semester, they're looking what they're going to do for next year. That's how they build their budgets. Like in our state specifically, we turn in our budget between March and then we finalize it in June. You know, I'm not sure the person you're needing to hire for this, but you're looking for, like, let's just say if you hired me to do it, I would come... I would live in it. I would flowchart out every aspect of it. I would stare at all of it. I would find the patterns. I would look for the things that would be really expensive to develop, and I'd figure out how to mitigate. I bet you like that, those. And I'd also, I would just need to like 
basically get an entire picture of this entire process. Mm-hmm. And then by looking at it, I would just see how to streamline and build. I don't know what that kind of a person is because mm-hmm. it's a very strategic role, but it's someone very skilled at stripping things down to the essence because there's, you've got a lot of things fighting against you. Like we've got a, we've got a simplified vision or mission that you're able to articulate now. Mm-hmm. We've got the concept of you putting this book into a model, which I think is going to be, that's going to be your number one marketing piece that sells the technology platform if you build it. Okay. Building a technology platform like this, that is a very, um, <laughs> I've talked to owners of software companies before. Yeah. Where I think they've joked that they would rather burn a stack of $10 million in cash than build the product they just built. Right. Because they underestimated the scope. They end up adding one little feature at a time that just makes it more complicated for everyone else who joins. I mean, you've also got the fact that when you implement this technology, it's probably going to require training. Right. I think it's really important to get clear on the lifestyle you want. Because once we get clear on your dream outcome, we can create this and we can skin this cat in the best way. Okay. What is your dream lifestyle outcome? Would you rather be remembered as the woman who changed education and be in history books, but have had like very little time with your family? Because we don't want to prescribe to any beliefs at all. We want to say we could test everything out, test all these beliefs out. But like, would you rather have a hundred million dollar a year education company where you've got like a team of, I don't know how how many people that'd be, maybe 3000 people that are working with you, like answering customer support bugs every day, tech support things, always innovating. Things need to go on iPhone. Now they need to go on Android. Now they need to go on because the product you're building is like, I would be nervous for Bill Gates to try and roll this out. Right. And I think that's where people who I've talked to, as far as the technology side go, they get intimidated because it, when you're talking about us education and the potential, like it just gets overwhelming. You could like release a book on the model. You could even release a full book on the technology and just charge a licensing fee for anybody that uses it, who decides to build something with it. Okay. Like, so in other words, you're worried about your competition. You could completely sidestep that and say, Hey, Everybody, here's what we need to build. I do not want to build it, but this is the tech. I'll release all of it. I just want X, Y, Z for anybody who takes this technology to implement it. But here's the idea. That's interesting. And then they hire you, you know, and you charge them money to consult on how it gets built. And hmm. Okay. You want to be really clear. Like, do you want to be remembered in history forever and you don't care how you get there? Do you want to be remembered in history forever and care about good quality of life? Do you actually just want a million dollars a month? to spend time with your family and I mean I definitely want good quality life with my family okay good quality life with your family is really high Mm -hmm. so what does that look like how many hours a day I would say like I would like to be doing more consulting or public speaking or have yeah you want to be an industry leader right but it's not just that like when you look at the book that I'm writing the memoir side of it it's more of a personal piece to helping people. So there's the education side of it and they're related. And that's why I chose to write the memoir first. Cause it kind of is like my business card for how I got to be a doctor because most people see that and assume that I was given that, that I grew up in a wealthy family and I didn't, I earned every single ounce. Do you mean most of those people being in poverty consciousness or do people like middle-class, upper-class, et cetera, like I've run into that across, I think, demographics. I've had multiple people assume. 
You know, it's interesting. One of the things that one of my favorite marketers said is that people that are successful really love to be acknowledged for their hard work. They simultaneously hate it when people question it. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Because you went through a lot of difficulty to get that doctorate, I imagine. Right. So they're doing the best they can. That's just what their conditioning says. And what their identity of you is BS and it's their identity. I don't know how solving that problem will help anything other than maybe help you feel better about that towards them. But chances are you're going to share that story with them and they'll see that and they'll be like, oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Or, oh, yeah, okay, well, so I still still can't do what you did. I mean, whatever response, like, so... Well, that's why I'm trying to write that book because there's a second piece of that. That's the how-to, like giving people ideas and thoughts right. as to how they can change that. Yes, education is one piece of that, but how can they change it outside of education? And the background you came from was one of like abuse and trauma and things like this? Correct. And right. poverty and runaway at you know 13. What's the title of the book? Uh, Unbroken, The Road to Freedom. Okay. Um, can we talk about that title? Sure. Is that title fixed? It's not fixed because it's not published yet. But it's like designed and whatnot? Yes. I have a book cover and everything designed and and I focused it around. So if you're going to help me change it, I'd love to hear it now. Well, let's, let's just talk a little about it. You know, how an abused 13-year-old runaway became a doctor as a title is a far more interesting story than Unbroken, The Road to Freedom. Now, Joseph Campbell wrote like The Hero's Journey. Uh-huh. You heard of this guy? I haven't heard of Joseph Campbell, but the hero's guide I've heard of. The hero's journey. Okay. The hero's journey is this hero's got to go on a quest. They got to face adversity. They come, like what you've done is the archetypical hero story. You know, we go after something. We have to overcome an obstacle. It's really hard. We work hard. We obtain it. The hero's journey is what George Lucas applied that model to Star Wars. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, Luke Skywalker's got to go on this journey and he can't do it. And then he finds out he can, et cetera. Anyway, that Star Wars is one of the most successful franchises of all time because it's a compelling hero's journey story. And it had great cinematic effects and all this amazing stuff. Right. For years, people have asked me about a book, something simple that they could read that was completely comprehensive, that would help them learn how to start a business when they have no ideas, no money, no experience, no real expertise, when they're insecure, when they don't have confidence. How do you start from zero? How do you start a business when you don't even believe that you could actually help someone in the first place? It's all documented. There's now a path. It's a book, it's called Start From Zero and you can pre-order it right now. Go to startfromzero.com and click on pre-order so you're first in line to read this remarkable book. There are over 15 different examples of employees, many who became millionaires in four years time. It's absolutely possible, and you can do it when you get the right training. Go get that book right now. Startfromzero.com and click on pre-order. Let's get back to the episode. And it had, at the heart of it, one heck of a story, right? So if the hero's journey is kind of embedded into the human psyche, and you leverage that on the title of your book, you're plugging into a pre-existing idea within someone's brain. That's a lot of leverage. Okay. So when you say how an abused 13-year-old runaway stricken with poverty became a thriving and successful doctor as a title of a book, most of your hard work will be done. People will be captivated by that and want to pick it up. Okay. And then underneath it, you could say something about the unbroken road to freedom as a subtitle. Okay. 
you know, unbroken, the road to freedom becomes really good if you have unbroken big text up top, how a 13-year-old abused, runaway, stricken with poverty became a thriving doctor underneath unbroken. Okay. Now we might be going into more direction that could be beneficial. So you could still use the word unbroken. I chose that working with some folks over at SPS and some of the writing coaches going through a process of like looking at how I felt as a child and really honing in on that feeling of brokenness and how well, I feel as an adult and how I got there. That's how the title came about. So in it, but I hear what you're saying. So I'm, I'm well, you know, if the title said broken, Mm-hmm. you'll capture way more attention than unbroken because most people feel broken. Okay. Most people, myself included, depending on the moment, depending on my level of metacognition, depending on what I'm believing about myself, I could slip into believing that I'm broken. Right. I'm walking around and this comes from religious conditioning. This comes from abuse. This comes from a society like I'm a piece of fruit in a moldy fruit bowl. I get moldy. Is it the fruit's problem or the bowl? Hmm. It's the bowl I grew up in was wrong. Nothing is broken about me. Everything is broken about the environment I grew up in. This is a tricky conditioning to, to shake. Right. Most of us grew up in broken fruit bowls. So whether you grew up Christian and you're told you're a sinner and your only way to salvation is Jesus. Right. But you are a sinner and you're born into sin. Like that sends a message broken versus as Christianity became more loving, it's like, hey, sometimes you make mistakes, you're still beautiful, Jesus can be a model. Words can be a big deal here. But what I'm, what I'm saying at is the, the fruit bowl. So what I'm saying also is that there's a voice inside of me that says broken. Mm-hmm. If I believe it instead of notice it, it runs my life. If I just notice the voice that says broken without believing it, then I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. Right. But the fact is the voice is there. The voice of unbroken is only starting to appear as I'm noticing the voice of broken. But if your book said broken, it would rip my eyes towards it. Okay. And it would rip everyone's eyes towards it, else eyes towards it, who secretly feels broken. And if you want to grab people that feel broken and then uplift them, you're probably better off going with something that's going to zing them. Okay. So you would go broken. How an abused 13-year-old one away became a successful, thriving doctor. Okay. And if you want to do something cool on the book, you could have broken real big, and then you could have sort of hidden behind it to unbroken, broken to unbroken. Okay. But you want to encapsulate, you had a hero's journey and you want people to know about that. So one, they understand they can do it too. And one, it frees a lot of the judgments and people can see the clarity of how this stuff really happens. Does that sound accurate? Yes. Yeah. So that's how I'd approach the title. Okay. You know, like I was at that event, SPS event, self-publishing school yes. is, is the business. If anyone wants to Google self-publishing schools, Chandler Bolt, great business he started. He was an early student of mine. Very, very proud of him. And I now have him mentor me. Yeah. I ask him to mentor me now, which is amazing to have as a teacher, your students do so well. So anyhow, like you, I'm at this event, there's a woman there and she's got a book and well, the book title is, So He Hit You Again, Threw Himself On You and Tried to Mold You Into His Image girl and then fuck that Mm -hmm. that's a book that's probably going to get picked up right so he hit you again story intrigue how poor abused 13 year old runaway became a successful doctor that will probably capture a generation of people 
you're on a TV show and they say, we're here with Dr. Kimberly, who has a great book out called Unbroken, The Road to Freedom. Almost sounds like you're like a politician. Huh. You know, hey, we're here with Dr. Kimberly, who's got a book called Broken, How an Abused, Poor 13-Year-Old Girl Became a Thriving Doctor and Saves Her Life. Huh. So now let's go to the book that you want to write for education. Okay. What's the title, working title you have there? It was definitely much more education related. So yep. I don't have it fully fleshed out, but it was in the premise of providing play and choice. And play is actually a trademark that I have for promoting learning and accountability for young children or youth. And it's about empowering them through play and choice. You have a trademark on this word? Yes. Promoting learning and accountability with young children or youth, depending on who you're, what age group you're working with. And what's the result of a child forgetting to have all this? What result do they end up with? They end up with freedom because they're empowered to make choices about their education and pursue their own interests and preferences and dreams. So you're giving children freedom to be themselves? Yes. Like maybe freedom to choose or something like that. So you are going to stand up on a podium as a Martin Luther King and imagine you say this, it is our utter imperative that we give children the freedom to be themselves. Yes. I mean, that gets tears in my eyes and that a child would understand. Mm-hmm. You know, I got on a Skype once the class full of like third graders and I was going to share all my wisdom with these third graders. <laughs> and I get on the thing and I get in front of these third graders and like, I just like, my heart hits my throat. And I'm like, I had all these things I wanted to say. And like, when I looked at the kids and I just said, listen, I just want all of you to know that you matter. It's so important because they don't know it. And I said, can you raise your hand right now in this room? Show of hands, who here feels like they matter? And I had like maybe like 10% of the kids raise their hand. And then I turned off and had some sort of like message I said. And by the end of the class, every kid raised their hand and felt like they mattered. Hmm. And it had something to do with kids. One kid shared how they struggled with this. And one kid shared how they struggled with this. These are third graders, you know, talking about they're really worried about when they make a piece of artwork that someone's going to judge it and it would really hurt them. It's a third grader saying this. Hmm. And then as they do around, then they're like, oh my gosh, like we can be ourselves and they all matter. And it was like, I mean, it hit me so hard, random. You know, I had all these impressive things I wanted to share, but it was actually quite simple. <laughs> like, awesome. like a, thank you. MLK simple. I have a dream. I want you to know that you all matter. Right. So you stand on a podium and you are now speaking from your soul and you say, it is our utter imperative as a society for the health, the future of our world, that we do not turn children against themselves, that we do not condition children to believe that they don't matter, that we do not push children into certain careers. It is my belief, and I stand fervently in this, and I would die behind this, that it is utterly important that we give children the tools so they have the freedom to be themselves. We have no higher calling as parents and no higher calling as a civilization, as a world, than to give children the tools to have the freedom to choose themselves and to be themselves. Because a child that has the freedom to be himself or herself is loving, compassionate, considerate. A child that's chosen themselves knows how to honor their intuition. That's awesome. That's everything I think all the time. So now you have language for it. Like, well, you already think it. Now it's brought into reality. And this is something definitely worth dying for. Giving children the tools so they have the freedom to choose themselves. That could also be a book title. You know, giving children the tools so they have the freedom to choose themselves. I mean, that would stop me in my tracks. Wow. 
And so would you choose that title over the one we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, looking at the model, the play model, the model that for education that breaks the industrial revolution, a new model that breaks the education system and it builds a new generation of thinking, thriving children. I mean, that could maybe go on the sleeve. It could go on the back. Okay. I mean, it depends on who your reader is. Right. But if you wanted to reach like everyone, I think the title that we had there is because if mothers like read this, and then like, there's like a call to, this <laughs> be crazy, but like you get a mother's and there's like a call to action in a chapter where they end up like going to the schools and begging for this to be implemented. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Turn mothers into your sales team. <laughs> now you're like on a whole different level of strategy. You know, what's the school going to do if a hundred moms come like, you've got to put this in the school. Right. But that comes to the technology. In terms of the technology, like... So here's how you want to do this. You want to find and you want to look for open source software developers. Have you heard, do you know what open source is? I've heard the term. So open source is where programmers go to make excellent projects just for the passion of coding. Okay. They also do it to build their resume, and but it's a little known secret, just like the top developers hang out in open source. Okay. So you look up open source software open source frameworks, open source. So like if you go, for example, like there's one called the Django project, D-G-A-N-G-O project. You type Django project in Google, you got djangoproject.com, the web framework for perfectionists with deadlines. That's Django. If you go to django.com, there's a link up here called community. You click on community and then you've got community blog posts, Django jobs, Q&A links, Django packages. There is an IRC channel where you can talk with these people. There are Django people, oh, local Django knots near you. Let's click on that. The United States at 2,588 people. Let's click on the United States. So now I'm in the United States. There's a lot of people. So you contact these people in open source and you send them an email and you say, listen, I have a technology product that could be implemented. And you speak with simple language. So you don't say I've got a game changing technology, none of that. Okay. Because they hear that crap all the time. Okay. Because people don't know how to speak about their products and they get so excited about it that they end up saying this game changing. But no, no, it's a model that addresses current education gaps that gives children the tools to have the freedom to choose themselves. Okay. Anyway, like you come out and say something like that. Now you've got a pretty powerful mission. So you go, you could develop, you talk to a developer, listen, I've got a school where we perfected a model that gives children the tools to have the freedom to choose themselves. I've got other schools that are ready to pay for this and ready to roll it out. I have no idea how to transform this idea from my school into a reusable software project. So I'm wondering if I might be able to speak with you and show you it and see if you could help me put together a plan of action for that. Okay. You'll send this to 20 open source developers that you find. You could do Django project. You could use Ruby on Rails. You can look up top open source communities on Google. There may be like software development meetups in your area. So you go open source, you email 20 of them. You'll probably end up getting three of them really interested in kind of talking you through it. They'll tell you how to think through it and that'll help. That's if you want to end up building it. And you may be able to build a very elegant web-based only, no, no mobile apps kind of platform where it's like, you know, the 20% of it that would take you a year to build is the manual part and all the automated stuff is in the software or something, right? There's a lot of strategy to this, but that's one route. The other route I would really encourage 
is that you actually just give them the information for people to potentially build a platform and then, you know, you charge a licensing fee. Okay. So in terms of like next steps, you know, I would probably try these three things. So you got these 15 schools. I pick your favorite school and then I'd pick a developer and see if you can implement it for like one school. Okay. You know, tell the school that they could fund the development of the whole project and then get it free for life. Well, I can do that at my own school. Like, cause I feel like they should be the first to use yeah, it. Very good. The tenets of entrepreneurship and rolling things out tend to work no matter how big or small it is. You just want to get it working on a small scale first. And so that's what I would do. I'd work on that book. I'd change your memoir title. I would start standing on your soapbox talking about giving children the tools to the freedom to choose themselves. Okay. And all the benefits of that. And now you'll have a lot of attention, I imagine, more than you have now. Wow. I mean, do you think so with these kind of shifts? I think so. Like I, my brain is still wrapping around it because you told me, get ready, I'm going to change the world. And I'm like, oh, okay, Dane, sure. <laughs> And now I'm like, wow, wait, I haven't thought this way before. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's give this, why don't we give you two weeks okay. and then we'll reconvene for another half hour one-on-one -on -one, and we can combine the interviews together so people can see what happened after two weeks time. Okay. That sounds good. So you're going to reach out to a bunch of open source developers and start talking to them. You get to be a complete newbie. You get to be a complete beginner. Just be clueless and ask them everything you're lost about. People get so scared about launching software, but instead of actually doing something with the fear, they just stay scared. Right. What you can actually do and what I did with software is I'm like, what's a server mean? How do you do the domain? What's DNS? And I had to like learn what all this stuff meant. So I just Googled it or I talked to software developers about questions that completely confused me. Okay. And if a software developer can't explain this stuff to you, then you probably don't want to hire them anyway. Right. So you're just going to talk to them like, this is what I want. Is this possible? I have no idea what I'm doing, but this is the outcome that I want. Okay. You'll be off. So in two weeks time, I want you to talk to an email, at least 20 open source developers. Okay. And I want you to think about that book title and think about having a few of those 15 schools watch you implement it. Have like a weekly meetup with the 15 schools. Like, hey guys, so I'm going to implement the technology in our school. Do you guys want to meet every week? And I'll talk about what I'm doing. Okay. Every, maybe every month. And then they can watch you. And then before long, they're like going to start asking you for the product. Okay. In terms of inviting competition stuff, like if you don't move fast enough, I have mixed feelings about that. Like I would, Google was the ninth search engine, not the first. Okay. What do you hear when I say that? That they didn't start it. They just focused on being so present and... No, no, no. They focused on delivering the result faster. Okay. They were just a search engine. But the first time you use Google search, it was faster than anything else. Hmm. But they only started as a search engine. They would not have anything else they did if they didn't wow us with search. I mean, they got their butt kicked by YouTube, so they bought them. Google tried to make video, but they didn't do video good. YouTube did, so they bought YouTube. That's interesting. I didn't know that. They tried to beat YouTube for like two or three years with Google video. They couldn't do it, so they finally bought them. Two billion dollar stock deal. After that, a lot of people tried starting video websites because they're just monkeys chasing cheese. I don't know if monkeys chase cheese. But. <laughs> like Google focused on the result. People want information fast. So you win based on if you deliver the result better. And in terms of having people like rip you off, I really think like if you go more open source yourself with this, like you open source your technology, you open source your ideas, you probably invite collaboration instead of competition. Because you could say, listen guys, the last thing I want to do is have a bunch of people competing on an education platform. 
I'd rather have us all do the fundamentals really well. So here they are. That's like some Mother Teresa type. That level of generosity would bode pretty well. I mean, it, like, let's say you did have like 10 people that just ripped it off and never did anything for you. Well, at least children are helped. Right. And you'll have your benefit. You definitely will. You know, you'll be the pioneer, the person that introduced it. You know, you could make a million dollars a year pretty easy, I think, even if people are trying to take your idea. Okay. Hmm. That's how I would approach it. Like if I had your idea, I would give it away and I would not try to build a software product unless I understood all the details of software it could actually be. Like you want to, I would build your thing if I could do it with a team of less than 10 people. Right. But if it takes more than 10 people, I'd call it a day. So how do you know if it takes more than 10 people? You tell me. Talk to the 20 open source developers. That's how you'll know. They'll tell you. They're very good at code. They work on group projects. All your problems are solved in terms of tech now by just knowing that you talk to these open source folks. Okay. You don't need to know anything. Did you hear the story about Henry Ford getting sued and they're trying to test Henry Ford's knowledge and finally they'd like stumped Henry Ford in the courtroom and Henry's like, guys, I don't pride myself on knowing answers. I pride myself on having a team that knows answers. I just have the questions. Hmm. That makes sense. So be more like Henry Ford. Just live in the question. Ask those questions of the open source. So you talk to those 20 folks and implement it for your school and enroll the 15 people to watch it happen. And you can have fun with it because you can say, hey guys, so we're going to roll out the software project with my school. So we're going to try and break my school first. Hee hee, wink, wink. And you know, you can watch me either try and run this into the ground or make it a success. Would you guys like to watch? I bet they say yes. What do you think though? I mean, I think it sounds, if I was hearing it, I'd want to be part of it. Yeah. And then as it starts to work in the school you're watching, you're probably going to really want to get your hands on it. Right. Yeah. I like this. I like this way a lot. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And you're right. You blew my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I mean, we're just trying to get a really successful implementation of something you've dedicated so much time to. Right. You know, we really want to do this in a way where it doesn't hurt. Like, like when I said I could tell you something that would look like a living hell or really easy, Mm -hmm. like this is a very touchy issue on how you would advise this. But for me, you implement it yourself. You have 15 schools watch it. Those 15 schools watch it. They see the results. Things flow. Maybe you get to 100 schools and then all this competition comes in. But you've got 100 schools and out of 100 schools, they've each got about 1,000 students. It's a million dollars a year. Hmm. You've got a team of three people that run that whole thing for you. Combined, you pay them $400,000. There's $600,000 left over for you. But you're working normal school hours. <laughs> That's great. Schools make great customers. There's no weekends, summers are off. Well, kind of. <laughs> kind well, of, right. Yeah. People, that's a myth. <laughs> yeah. Teachers might have summers off, but when you're in leadership, it doesn't really happen. At least leadership of a charter school. Okay. So tell me everything that's on your mind and then we'll end. I'm still wrapping my brain around the different pieces. Please, you don't have to make any sense. Just talk. So my, when I'm contacting open source people, I'm not trying to solidify any deals with them to actually get them to commit. It's just asking no. them to understand what I need to do. Yeah, you don't want to marry them yet. You want to take them on some dates, talk to them. Okay. And then I'm changing my book title. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I did send you a cover, a sample of the cover, because now I'm wondering if my the image that I had is going to work. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, but I know I'll get there. I just have to like sit with these thoughts for a few minutes and just wrap my brain around it. And I guess I need to start with finding and emailing open source people. Right. So 
this is really good because you have an idea you're not sure about. How does it get built? You bring it to an open source software developer. There's some subtle strategy in what I'm teaching you that I haven't really spoken to. I'll just speak to it really quickly. So you bring an idea to a software developer and you start asking them how it could be built and how big the team is and what would be required. And like, you're just really confused. You need some guidance and they start helping you. And then maybe it crosses a line where they've been helping you for three hours and they need to start charging you just for consulting. You'll be able to feel that. You'll be able to feel that out or something. But if they've been working for you, like, you know, like a lot of software developers, like, can't help it. Because they're like, ooh, an idea? Oh, like, they can't help it. They're like, oh, I have to build it. So what happens is you'll ask them all these questions, and they'll think through it, and then they'll start becoming really invested in your idea. And then you can start talking about bringing them on. And because you have paying customers lined up and all this and that, you could potentially secure some really talented developers because you've got such a solid promise. Okay. But basically asking them questions will help them buy into your project more. And how does this way of thinking tie into like the connection to like Harvard or the Erickson Institute? Like they're more interested in the research side of things. And so like they want, for example, that, you know, a typical education research model is you get a control group and you get the experimental group and, you know, you implement the model in the experimental group. And then you look at the control group and look at the differences in academics. Like, do I need to worry about any of that? Or do I just kind of... What's your gut say? I think there's benefits to both, but I think the fastest way to advance is not going in that direction. Don't you already have the control group versus the non-control group? You're just putting the tech to what worked? Yeah, because every school doesn't implement it now. So we could just take any scores from random schools that are not implementing the model. Yeah, I mean, you you did it. Demographic schools. I mean, you, you could roll it out. This could set your entire family legacy up for like, 50 years if you do this right. Right. Yeah. So what I would do with this is like you roll it out to a school and say, let's roll it out to half of your school for the year and let the other half just be stable. And so you have like a really, really accurate control group. Okay. You're implementing in your school. Then the 15 schools like, oh, I love it. It's like, okay, great. Let's just roll it out with half your students. Okay. I don't know if that works because like, so it's, it's so different between schools, but right. may, maybe you end up doing one school and one not, but you'll figure those details out. Right. Okay. You know, see, my approach to competition is I'd usually just let competition do their own thing and I just stay obsessed with my customers. I don't really think about competition. I just connect deeply with my customers and I obsess about taking care of them. If I listen to competitors, I start competing on features. If I listen to customers, I keep my product simple and focus on results. That makes sense. So just stay obsessed about your schools. You've got one heck of a reputation too behind you. Right. And I did, I mean, what do you think about, like, because you get into non-disclosure agreements and stuff, do you worry about any of that? Or you just completely go forward and disclose all your ideas and whatever happens, happens. Uh, And I've had people say, you should really be having people sign non-disclosure agreements. I don't know. That's up to you. I've never been in the land of anything too proprietary. I can get the need for them at certain levels like this. Right. I mean, a software dev, you could say, listen, I just need like a verbal, a verbal commitment on email that you're not going to share this because I got people at Harvard and like people like wanting this, this is a big deal. Like when you drop Harvard in your email and stuff, you're going to have a lot of fun talking to these software devs. So say like, that's like, I don't want to have a strict NDA, but like, I just want to know that you're not going to share this with anyone. You need a verbal commitment. And they say, reply and say yes. And "Eh, you know, maybe I go for a contract. May, you know, but that just, take, that just takes more sales. So like I write an email that's really flushed out and it's talking about Harvard, it's talking about this, it's talking about all these details, about 15 schools ready to buy it, how the model is this, your students are getting this results, it's a really good platform. And then you even just have like the contract prepared, the NDA contract prepared, a link to the electronic signature software where all they have to do is click a link to sign. 
And then those developers that click the link and sign and reply, you can just talk to. So make okay. it really easy for them to sign. Okay. Do you notice the pattern of what I'm doing every time here? I think you're identifying the problem and then walking through solutions that yep. I can work through. Yeah, and making it really easy so you can't fail. Right. Because if you ask a software developer to sign an NDA and they're like, well, that'll so much work. And blah, blah, blah. Versus if you just give them the link to sign it, they'll probably go, oh, it's fine, I'll sign it. Right. You know, reduce friction. Okay. What's one word you would use to describe how you're feeling? Amazingly overwhelmed. <laughs> Like I'm overwhelmed, but I'm like excited to think about this in a different light. What kind of a different light? It's like a mind, a paradigm shift for me. I hadn't thought about, you know, just giving away that whole technology and doing a licensing fee. I hadn't thought about anything with open source. Like I've learned a lot in a short amount of time. What you've built sounds so complicated that I don't know if many people would actually want to rip it off. Do you think it could be so complicated that it doesn't go anywhere? Only one way to find out. Right. It will go. I know it will go. <laughs> it's already gone. You got demand. Everything's there. So good job today. Thank you. I appreciate it so much, Dean. So listen, if you'd like to offer feedback on this episode, we would treasure that. Let us know what you want more of and what you want less of for the show. And we'll make sure we try to incorporate that. You can email the feedback to hello at startfromzero.com. Just put feedback in the subject line. Now, if you'd like to build a $20,000 per month business minimum, I've got a friend who actually does this every single month. Some months he makes as much as $87,000 in a month. I asked him about it and he told me, man, if I can do this, anybody can do it. So we've turned this into a fully comprehensive course that you can take to learn how to quickly build a $20,000 per month business. If you'd like information on that, you can go to startfromzero.com and on the homepage, you'll find a link to it. Now, if you've been struggling to take action, if you really feel there's more for your life, but you know you're going to need to take action to do it, but taking action is so difficult, you just can't seem to get yourself to do it. We have a wonderful free tool. You can find it at startfromzero.com forward slash DJP. And if you go there within 20 minutes of applying the process, you'll find yourself wanting to play the game, wanting to step in the game, and wanting to take action. I use DJP for myself all the time with things like figuring out revenue models, figuring out lead capture systems, figuring out how to hire someone. If I'm ever stuck with a difficult action, I'll actually apply DJP because what it does is it wakes up a deeper intuition, a deeper wisdom, so we can actually do something really cool instead of stay stuck. So that's it. Please rate the show. Please subscribe and go on and listen to the next episode. Let's do this.